Uh, it's so good to be here this morning. I appreciate Brother Ridge and his great ability in leading singing and also the thought that he put into each song. And as he mentioned, they all tie into the sermon this morning. That's just wonderful. We can all have our mind set on that same thing. And so I appreciate very much him doing that. Also, Brother Ed and the time that he put into that and the comments that he made really tie in directly uh, to our sermon this morning. So appreciate him and the thought that he put into it. And everybody that has participated this morning in this worship service, it's just a great honor, a blessing, and a privilege to be here and to have this opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. So again, thank you for being here, and I'm excited about our study this morning from Hebrews chapter 10. Last week, we discussed the purchase price of our freedom, and we discussed 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That is what purchased our freedom. And that is why we can be set free. That is why we can be here this morning. And it gives us that great opportunity to approach the God of heaven all because of what Jesus did and because He serves as our great high priest. And we looked at other passages. We looked at Matthew 26, 28, for example. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for many for their mission of sins. Talking about how pure and precious and powerful the blood of Jesus is. But we also referenced Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. And so diving into that text, I thought, you know what? I want to stay right here because I love the book of Hebrews. One of my favorite books, specifically Hebrews chapter 10. I love the, the way it progresses and the way it shows how superior the sacrifice of Jesus truly is. And in this final section of this context here in Hebrews chapter 10, before it gets very practical, the writer of this great book encourages Christians to draw near to God to hold fast the confession of their hope and to consider one another, to stir up one another unto love and to good works. And so we want to examine this great text this morning together. As we open up this study and as we think about it, I think it would be advantageous for us to consider what the book of Hebrews is all about. Maybe you've read through it before. Maybe you've heard some sermons or lessons on the book of Hebrews, but maybe you would just like to have it maybe uh, in a way where you can just grasp it right off the bat. Well, hopefully this will, will help to do that. The book of Hebrews is all about what it means to be in Christ and why that is better. If you can remember that phrase, Jesus is better, you'll have a good grasp of the book of Hebrews. But these are some thoughts I wanted us to consider. First and foremost, the book of Hebrews is important if we want to, if we want to understand what the Bible is all about. It's important to know what the book of Hebrews is all about. We understand it and we love and appreciate the fact that all 66 books of the Bible are inspired of God. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, all breathed out by God. 2 Timothy 3.16 The psalmist said, The sum of your word is truth. Not some of it, but the sum of it. All of it put together is truth. Psalm 119.160 Holy men of God spoke as they were moved or born along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.19-21 the apostles were guided into all truth by the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13. So what we have in our Bibles, every bit of it, is breathed out by God. And we can rely on it. We can trust it. It's all truth. But again, as you think about the book of Hebrews, it helps to connect that Old Testament to the New. So the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Both of those are important. If we're going to piece it all together. So again, that's the book of Hebrews. Here is where we are. That's what it's all about. 
There was this old law, this old system, this priesthood, these sacrifices. But now we've come to a new law. And this has been God's plan all along. Jeremiah chapter 31, that prophecy. I will write this law in their hearts. Well, here it comes. And when you get into the book of Hebrews, it shows, listen, that old law, that old way of doing things, it's done away with because Jesus has come. That old law has been nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant, a better testament. Hebrews 9.15-17. So the system has changed. There's a threefold purpose to this book. Why it was written. Number one, it was written to emphasize the supremacy of Christ and Christianity over Judaism and the law of Moses. Again, the supremacy of Jesus and everything that He brings about. Number two, it was written to warn the readers. Keep in mind the context, the readers, those Christians in the first century, to warn them of apostasy. Apostasy basically means that you're going to leave it, you're not coming back. And that's what they were being warned not to do. The writer is saying, listen, you've come to Christ. You are in Christ. You obeyed His gospel. Don't go back to that old law. You can't find justification there. <coughs> Salvation is found only in Christ. Romans 1, 16 and 17. But then the third reason. He wanted to encourage them to make a complete break from Judaism. In other words, don't say, I'm a Christian, I'm in Christ, but I'm going to hold on to a little bit of the old law. And if I, if I can make some personal application for us for a moment, when you become a Christian, you can't say, I'm going to hold on to a little bit of my old life. And on this side, I'm going to claim to be in Christ. That's not how it works. Romans 6 tells us that we die to sin. That old man of sin is buried. We need to keep him buried and make sure that we live for Christ every single day. So there is a lot of application that we can make but here is the primary purpose of this book. Again, written to Christians in the first century to show them Christ is better. Everything about Him is better. Don't go back to that old way. You make a complete break from that old system. For us, let's make a complete break of that old life. Because we're Christians now. Everything is different. Everything is better. And that is the key word in the book of Hebrews. A lot of times when you study the Bible, it's important to find that key word or that key phrase. And you can highlight it, underline it, and as you read, you say, it's amazing how many times this pops up. Well, that's the case with the word better. Look at how this word is used throughout the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. He's better than the angels, Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. We find in that great text that Jesus is the exact engravement of God. God spoke in times past, various ways, various manners, but in these last days, has spoken unto us through His Son, whom He's made heir of all things. He upholds the world by the, the word of His power. Jesus is even better than the angels. In ch chapter 7, we find that Jesus, as the great high priest, brings about a greater priesthood. And we as Christians, members of the body of Christ, we are a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 5, as well as verses 5. We are that great priesthood of believers. Also in chapter 7, Jesus provides a better hope. And He brings about a better covenant. In Hebrews chapter 8, Jesus brings about better promises. And in chapters 9 and 10, we find that Jesus provides and offers a better sacrifice. Brother Ed alluded to that a moment ago. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. It had to be the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. So remember that key word as you study the book of Hebrews, better. Jesus is 
better. But then we want to think about a key phrase in this book, and it is the phrase, let us. You will find that phrase 12 times in the book of Hebrews in the New King James Version. Here are all the references where you find that phrase. For example, in Hebrews chapter 4, I think it would be good for us to read this together. Just to get an idea of how this writer uses this phrase. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, of course, that forces us to go back in the context of chapter 3. Do not depart from the living God. It's possible you be faithful to God. And because He's promised us this, this great rest, therefore, since the promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Notice verse 11. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Going down to verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. Notice in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, a very familiar text. And this is right on the heels of Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews chapter 11. All those great examples of faithfulness. He says, therefore, again, go back to chapter 11, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, a reference to all those faithful men and women of God, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so notice how this writer uses the phrase, let us. With those thoughts in mind, we want to consider our text from Hebrews chapter 10, 22 through 24. Here we're going to find the threefold responsibility of the child of God. The threefold responsibility of the child of God. I want to begin in verse 19 so we can get the picture of the context here. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Again, the word therefore forces us to go back. The animal sacrifices were insufficient. The sacrifice of Jesus is all sufficient. All sufficient for all sin, for all people, for all time. Christ's death perfects the sanctified. It was a one-time offering. And it once and for all time will sanctify the believer. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Brethren, we are members of the house of God. The church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Again, the threefold responsibility of the child of God. Number one, our responsibility toward God. Let us draw near. 
Number two, we're going to notice our responsibility toward ourselves. Let us hold fast our confession of our hope. And then number three, we want to notice our responsibility toward one another. Let us consider one another to stir up in the love and the good works. So this will be the three points we want to discuss this morning. Our responsibility toward God, toward ourselves, and toward others. All from this great text in Hebrews chapter 10, 22 through 24. The first responsibility is toward God. Notice it says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We want to dive into this and see what it means. First, let's just take a second to think about how amazing this is. That the God of heaven desires for us to approach Him. It brings back to our minds what David said, Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Well, when I look at the world and I behold the great work of God, to think that He wants me to draw near to Him, isn't that an incredible blessing? It's an incredible responsibility too. God the Father, the One who created this entire world, created us, wants us to draw near to Him. This word draw near, this phrase draw near is in the present tense. It's a present tense verb and it's one word in the Greek. To approach. Approach. Keep on approaching God. That's what it means to draw near unto Him. But notice we are to draw near to Him with full assurance of faith. Not straddling the fence. Why? Because Satan owns the fence. We've got to have all faith when we approach our God. If we're going to keep on drawing near to Him, it's going to take all the faith that we can get. And that faith is based on the evidence of God's Word. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But notice, keep in mind Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of who? Of those who diligently seek Him. Of those who keep on drawing near to Him. Keep on approaching Him. James says if you flee the devil, he'll flee from you. If you draw near to God, he will draw near unto you. James 4, 7, and 8. And so if we're going to uh, make sure that we do what is right in the sight of God and, and maintain our responsibility, we've got to keep on drawing near to God with full assurance of faith. This was used in reference to the priests in that old system, that old priestly system. And there's such a great contrast in Hebrews 4, verse 16. Brother Ed mentioned the Day of Atonement. We talked about that last week. Leviticus chapter 16. And all that was required to enter into the presence of God. That one day out of the year. And all the things that had to take place. But in Hebrews 4.16 we find that we can approach God's presence. We can draw near to Him all of the time. Because we can go to the throne of grace boldly because of our great high priest. Because of Jesus. Because of what He did for us. We have access to the God of the universe all the time. The question is, do we understand that? Do we believe that? Are we constantly going to God's throne in prayer? Are we constantly reading His Word? Because listen, He's asked us to draw near to Him. Are we? Are we constantly drawing near to God? Because please understand, if you're not drawing closer to God every day, you're getting farther away from Him. We can't be stagnant. We can't be in neutral. We're either drawing near to Him or farther away from Him. God desires for His people to draw near 
unto him. But notice that this takes uh, certain requirements. There are conditions if we're going to draw near unto God. And there are four of them mentioned in this text. If we're going to keep on drawing near to God, we must do so with a true heart. The word for true here can also be sincere or pure. The Proverbs writer says, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it flow the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23 We find in Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 11, of course this is God speaking to His people in Babylonian captivity. He gives them this hope. He says, I have great plans for you. I know the thoughts that I have toward you to give you a hope and to give you a future. Again, keep in context who He's talking to there. But He says, you will seek Me and you will find Me when you seek Me with the whole heart. You see, brethren, God wants... The whole heart, not just half of it. God gave us His very best, didn't He? He gave us His only begotten Son. We can say it this way. He gave us His whole heart. What does He want in return? He wants every bit of it. He wants the whole heart. If we're going to keep drawing near to God, He wants every bit of it. He wants a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those are the ones who will see God. Matthew 5. In Luke 8, verse 15, in the parable of the sower, you remember the sower, he's sowing seed and there's all the different kind of grounds that represent different kind of hearts. The good and honest heart is the one that hears the Word of God and it brings forth that good fruit. That's the kind of heart that God desires. So if we're going to maintain this responsibility, let us draw near, keep on drawing near to God. We must have a true heart. Notice also in verse 22, we are to do this with fullness of faith. Fullness of faith or a full assurance of faith. And I was thinking of different examples that we could use of individuals who had this. And the first one that came to mind was Abraham. And so I wanted to keep going with that. I want to read Romans 4, verses 20 and 21 for us as it connects to someone who had a full assurance of faith in drawing near to God. Speaking of Abraham, it said, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what He had promised, He was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted unto Him for righteousness. The King James says He staggered not at that promise in unbelief. Notice that language. He was fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to perform. Do we believe that today? That what God has promised, He is able to perform? That when God promises something, He's going to keep that promise? We've got to have that kind of faith if we're going to keep drawing near to God. That's what Abraham had. There's also an allusion to this in Hebrews chapter 11. Again, the faith hall of fame. Abraham, get out of your country. Go away from your family. Go into a land that I will show you. So Abraham has never seen this land before. He had to go in faith, didn't he? Fullness of faith. And he went. Hebrews writer says he went out and he obeyed. By faith, Abraham obeyed. But then even when God said, I want you to give me your only son, your only son Isaac, he went through with it. What kind of faith did he have? The kind of faith that said God is able to raise him up. Abraham fully trusted in the promises of God. God told me that through my seed, all families of the earth will be blessed. Isaac is the promised son that God gave me. I believe wholeheartedly that God is going to go through with that promise. Abraham never wavered. And we must have that kind of faith. If we're going to keep drawing near to God, let's do it with a true heart. 
Let's do it with full assurance of faith. Number three from this text, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. I put the references here in the Old Testament because it is an allusion to the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 24, for example. Numbers 19, 1 through 9. You have the red heifer and you have the blood that was to be taken that was to be sprinkled. Notice that it was the hearts are to be sprinkled from an evil conscience. So the external and the internal, the heart, the seat of emotion. We are to have a pure and right conscience when we approach our God. And that's exactly what we find in 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism now saves us. Not the putting away the filth of the flesh. It's not this external thing where, oh, I'm just taking a bath. That's not what that teaches. But the answer of a good conscience toward God. What's that mean? God, you said this is what I need to do to draw near to you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do what God has said to do. I'm going to obey the gospel of the Son because God said that's the power unto salvation, Romans 1.16. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. But if you'll take a step back there in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 13, notice the impact of this statement. It's speaking of the blood of Jesus coming as the great high priest, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For... If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, notice, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies the purifying the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ bring about that pure conscience? So when we obey the gospel of Christ, we're going to have that pure conscience. Our hearts have been changed. That inward change that takes place. We come out of that water a brand new person in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 To walk in newness of life. Romans 6. 3-6 through But then the fourth thing in this text. Have your body washed with pure water. Again, the reference back to the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 30. And you read through that text and you think about the priest having to go into the labor. And there was water there. They had to wash their hands. They had to wash their feet. There was washing that had to take place before entering into God's presence. There's washing that must take place. Being washed in the blood of Jesus if we're going to be able to enter the presence of God. Acts 22, 16. Having your sins washed away. In Ephesians 5 and verse 26, speaking of referencing the church, sanctifying them through the washing of the water by the Word. And so you notice how this writer is bringing these Old Testament themes but showing how much better it is to be in Christ. We can draw near to God. All because of what Jesus did. Here are these conditions that must be met if we're going to fulfill our responsibility to keep on drawing near to God. So let us draw near unto God. In the second place this morning, the Hebrews writer says, let us hold fast. Here is the responsibility toward ourselves. Again, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let's think about what these words mean. First, hold fast means to stick to firmly. This is also a present tense verb. And remember, when we study our Bibles, if something is in the present tense, it means continuous action. So just add the words keep on, and that'll help you. Keep on sticking to firmly. Hold fast. Here are some other references that we find. Hebrews 3, 6, as well as chapter 4 and verse 15. Holding fast to the profession of our hope and our faith. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, abstain from that which is evil, hold fast to that which is good, or cling to that which is good. You picture going around and holding something and holding it as strongly and as, as, as much as you can. Hold fast. Don't let go. That's what the Hebrews writer is saying here. Let us hold fast. Stick too firmly. Jesus in Revelation 3.11, we have His words, hold fast to what you have that the crown will not be taken away from you. Christians, let's hold fast to what we have. This world tries to take a lot from us, but they can never take away our hope in Christ. Nothing this world can throw our way can ever take away the hope that we have of being with God forever. So let us stick firmly to it. Let us hold fast. Notice he says, to the confession. Brother Jack did a great job explaining confession a few weeks ago in Bible class. This word can mean a lot of things. There's the confession of sins. There's the confession, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But here the word confession denotes a way of life. Again, this is in the present tense, Matthew 10, 32. Whoever confesses, whoever keeps on confessing me, Jesus says, I will keep on confessing before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies, keeps on denying me, I will keep on denying him. What does that mean? I keep on confessing that Jesus is Lord. Furthermore, I keep on confessing that Jesus is my Lord the way I live my life. But when the day comes when I deny that by the way I live my life, just know that Jesus is going to keep denying me as long as I deny Him. So we are to keep on confessing Him. Here's a side note, brethren. This destroys what saved always saved. Why in the world should I hold fast to my confession if I could never lose it? Why is the Hebrews writer saying you need to hold on, stick too firmly to this hope? If I've got it, I can't lose it. Now you see what he's saying is you have to keep doing it because it is possible to lose it. So let us keep on sticking too firmly our way of life as Christians. Let us hold fast the confession notice of our hope. This is not wishful thinking. Hope is desire plus expectation. Here are your references. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire is a tree of life. Hebrew parallelism. Here's hope. Here's desire. They go hand in hand. <coughs> Proverbs 10, 28. The expectation of the wicked is contrasted with that of the righteous. You have hope. You have expectation. So desire plus expectation is hope. Let's put this together. Here's our responsibility toward ourselves as Christians. We have to keep on holding fast. We have to keep on sticking too firmly our way of life because we desire and expect to be with God forever. That's what this means. That's our responsibility to ourselves. And this is something we have to do every single day of our lives. So let us draw near. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Now notice, without wavering. This means a firm determination. A firm resolve or resolution. And I love this. One word in the Greek. Unshakable. Christian, let me ask you this morning, is your faith unshakable? The trials of life can either break our faith, shake our faith, or make our faith, James 1, 2, and 3. We have to decide what it's going to do when life comes our way, when the trials come our way, when doubt and guilt and all these different things come into our life. We need to make sure we have an unshakable faith in God. 
Because we're holding fast. We're sticking too firmly that great hope that we have to be with God forever. James says this, if any man lack wisdom in the, con- in the context of facing trials, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberty and breadeth not. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he who wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. James says, let not that man think he'll receive anything because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We have to make sure that we're not double-minded, but that we're single-minded. That we have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5 That will allow us to hold fast without wavering the confession of our hope. And here's why we can do it. For He who promised is faithful. You know something I've learned in the short time that I've been in ministry? People will let you down. People will let you down. Family members will let you down. Close friends will let you down. But the God of heaven will never, ever, ever let you down. The one who promised says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We can know that. The people in this life, they may shun us, turn away from us, let us down, but God never will. We can maintain our hope in God because He, the one who promised, is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1 9, God is faithful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, in the context of, of Him allowing us a way to escape when the temptations of life come our way. God is faithful. Who will that temptation also provide a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. In Hebrews 6, 18 and 19, we have this anchor of the soul. That's Jesus the Christ. And we can have it. Because there's two things God can't do. And there in that text it says, God who cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. Think about that for a moment. It's impossible. He can't do it. He can't lie. Titus 1-2, God who has promised us eternal life is the one who does not, He cannot lie. And what promise exactly has He given us as Christians? This is the promise He has given us, even eternal life. 1 John 2-25. With all these things in mind, we can stick to firmly our hope, can we not? Isn't this something that can keep us going? Even when life tries to, to get us down, we can stick to firmly. We can hold fast because He who promised is faithful. And the question I want to ask us is why waver when God has promised? Why waver? But you know, sometimes we do. Sometimes we struggle. Is God listening? Is He really there? Am I really going to get through this trial? Let's be reminded that God is always there. That God is always faithful. And He's promised to be with us no matter what. This will allow us to hold fast the confession of our hope. And so we've noticed the responsibility toward God. Let us draw near. We've noticed the responsibility toward ourselves. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. But third and finally this morning, let's notice the responsibility we have toward one another. And that is to consider one another unto love and to good works. This phrase, consider one another. Again, present tense verb. And hopefully this will help us as we study our Bibles to to see the impact of this. This is not a one-time action. It's continuous. Let's keep on considering one another. Let's keep on giving careful thought about one another. That's what Christians are to do. I'm going to be thinking of you because you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. You're going through a difficult time. Guess what? I'm weeping with you. 
You're going through a great time. Guess what? I'm rejoicing with you because that's what family does. That's what Christians are to do. Let us keep on considering one another in order to stir up. King James says to provoke. And that's what this idea is here. It's the act of provoking responses. I want you to think about a fire that's blazing. Back in my mom and dad's house in the basement, we had a little fireplace, and I loved, when I was in high school, I loved to go and to make a fire, watch a movie at night, and to sleep in the living room, and just have that fire, and that's the only light after I turned the TV off. I just love doing that. It's so comfortable, cozy. I want you to picture a fire, though, that goes down, and you've only got a few embers down there at the bottom. What do you do to get that fire back up? You gotta breathe some oxygen onto it, right? Maybe you grab something and you start poking it. What are you doing? You're provoking it. You're stirring it up. Brethren, there are Christians who need to be stirred up, myself included, constantly being stirred up, constantly being provoked that I can be better for my God and better for you. We are to provoke one another, to keep on stirring up that ember that's there. For the child of God that comes out of that watery grave on fire for God, but years go by, that fire has dwindled to just a little ember. But guess what? The fire's still there. That's where we come in as Christians. That note of encouragement, that call, that visit to rekindle that flame so we can all be on fire for our God. Stir up, notice unto love, a faith which works by love. Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. God is not unfaithful to forget our work and labor of love. Hebrews 6 and verse 10. That's the kind of work we need to be doing. Stir up unto love and to good works. We were created in Christ Jesus. We are His workmanship unto good works. That word workmanship in the Greek means masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. You picture an artist who puts so much time and effort into painting this beautiful picture, this portrait. And after he finishes, he steps back and he says, there it is. That's what you are. That's what we are as Christians. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. That ought to encourage us to go out and live for him. That ought to encourage us to go out and do good works because we were redeemed for the purpose of being zealous for good works. Titus 2 and verse 14. So we have noticed the threefold responsibility of the child of God. Let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope and let us consider one another that we can all be on fire for God. I'd like to sum it up this way this morning. If we're going to draw near to God, it requires faith. Faith. If we're going to constantly hold fast, it requires hope. And if we're going to consider one another, it requires love. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. The greatest of these is love. Let love be what motivates you to fulfill your duty and responsibility to God. Not that we're going through the motions. Not that we feel like, well, this is my obligation, so I guess I have to be there. I guess I have to open my Bible today. Let it be the love that we have for God because of all He's done for us that motivates us to draw near to Him, to hold fast to the hope that we have, and to consider one another. Faith, hope, and love. These things are required 
if we're going to be what God wants us to be. This morning, I ask you, how is your faith? Have you put your faith in Christ? If you haven't, why not do that today? If you believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God, it's exactly what the Bible teaches. Jesus said, if you believe not, you'll die in your sins. John 8, 24. If you truly believe, are you willing to repent of sins? Change the way that you live. Stop doing the wrong and start doing the right. God commands all men everywhere to do it. Acts 17, 30. Are you willing to express that and confess with the mouth what you know and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God? Acts 8, 37. If you're willing to make that great confession, you can be baptized into Christ. Have your sins washed away by His blood. Acts 2.38, Acts 22.16. Come out of that water and, and, and be a brand new creature. Be on fire for God, but don't let that fire go into light. Let's stay on fire for God. We have every reason to stay on fire for Him. And let us hold fast. Let us keep drawing near to God. Let us keep on considering one another. That heaven can be our home together. It may be the case that there's sin in your life this morning. Or it may be that you're not fulfilling this threefold responsibility and you need prayers for the church. Maybe it is that your fire needs to be rekindled. We would love to pray with you. We would love to pray for you. Jesus is calling. Won't you answer him and come as together we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at the Scattered Abroad Network at gmail.com. That's the Scattered Abroad Network at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.